Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 455. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to speak about something, I think, practical. Um, kids who get sick or not. Or do. Or do. Uh, we had something happen in our household to one of our kids, right? It, it, yes. Yeah, it's going to be generic. Don't worry. Okay, but it's... And yes, okay, that's fine. Just that... But it's not the first time. No. Meaning that it's not like with this specific child. It's just a thing that we've seen repeated over and over again since our kids have been growing. Right, but it kind of made recent, me think about yes. it last week. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Um, so that's my topic. I also um, am going to uh, share a few fun things for our audience, but uh, what do you have cooking for this podcast, my darling? Well, let's see. I, um, I was thinking about something um, regarding the U.S. Open this weekend. Okay. And also... I was reading last night before bed about Les Moonves from CBS, who is now gone from mm -hmm. CBS. And you know that they were trying to create some kind of exit package for him that was like $100 million. Okay. But then the New Yorker came out with another article, I think six, by Rowan six Farrell. Six more women came out. Six more women came out. Did you read the article? No. Okay. Well, it's um, kind of brutal. And uh, then I'm also, we got uh, an advanced copy of uh, Gemma Hartley's new book called Fed Up that's coming out in a couple months. Uh, you can pre-order it now. Sure. Um, and all of those things put together, like just, I was, um, you and I were having a talk in the garden with our neighbor, Nick, about how as these as these things come up, as people like Les Moonves, like, you know, get exposed for the sexual harassment right. that even though it's gone on for is some of it he's saying was like so long ago, like 20 years ago. But the question is, does that matter? Right. I, you know, again, I don't know. Um, doesn't feel like it for the women who are traumatized. Right. Um, and then also, you know, the U S open, um, that's still kind of, you know, I'm reading so many mixed reactions around that. I was, why I was on my phone is I was trying to look up the name of the woman who won cause she was pretty amazing. I could find it. Yeah. Look that up. It, that whole experience with Serena Williams and so most people don't know what you're talking about. Well, Serena Williams, um, at, was in the final of the U S open and she was going up against a really amazing player who I want Todd to say her name. Um, she's the first... I think Japanese American to have won. There, there's some kind of history that was made, but they were both amazing players. Um, but there were some questionable calls on Serena that, according to most people who play tennis, um, Naomi Osaka. Thank you, Naomi Osaka. She was really good. Um, Twenty-year-old. Yes, and she played pretty flawlessly. I mean, obviously she won, but there was these questionable moments um, where some of the things that were happening with Serena, the line judge called her on first of all breaking her racket, then getting coached, and then verbal abuse. Correct. Which three three strikes, which led to her losing a hole. So by rule, game. if you get three code violations, you lose a game. And the question is, 
would that have happened if she wasn't a woman or wasn't Serena? Correct. And that's that's the essence of the question. Correct. And um, some people think, uh, yeah, you break three code violations and it doesn't matter. It's kind of a long story, which I don't want to, if you're interested, just YouTube US Open Women's Final and I'm sure you'll get the story. But there was three code violations and um, by rule, if you get three, one was the racket, one was being coached by a coach, which sounds like, oh, why is that a problem? In tennis, you're not allowed to be coached. Even though according to most people, all the Everybody coaches are coaching. Right. So there's some nuances, there's subtleties in each of these things. And some people like some people have said, um, yeah, three strikes and you're out, that's the rule. And But most of the people that I've heard said something like, the umpire, which is the guy sitting on the perch, should give, especially in a U.S. Open final, should, should, should give a warning. Should be basically give a warning. Like, listen, it's been three. If you don't stop this now, then I'm going to take a game away. Or it's but, been two. But instead, uh, it's, he just handed her this game penalty, which is a huge uh, deal in the context of a finals match. Like it's it's hard enough to win, much less get a whole game removed from your. Well, and what I read is as that line ju- it, are they really called an umpire? That sounds yeah, so basebally. Yeah, umpires. Can, are they called line judges too, or is that a different thing? No, the line judge is the guy sitting or the girl sitting. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. So anyway, the umpire. I think what, I think it's called umpire. From what I read, their job is also to diffuse situations mm. and not increase a situation that that doesn't mean that they don't identify um, things that need to be called, but that the intention is to keep the game as smooth and even as possible. So these players can actually play. Right. And it's in their best interest too, because you don't want to be the one blamed for, you know, it's kind of like the ref who's a a good umpire is uh, the way an umpire is considered good or bad. In my opinion is the less they're noticed. And that's what I mean is like you're the whole thing is to diffuse it. And yeah. the fact that after um, and again, people may watch the video of Serena being angry and saying the things she said because she called him a thief. And the thing that and accusing him that he owes her an apology, owes her apology and, and she was really heated. And uh, but what's interesting is what I've heard. I don't watch enough tennis to know, nor do but I, but that men do this all the time. Right. They yell. They said, I guess, uh, Roger, what Federer, uh, Federer or no, Nadal. Rafael Nadal. Rafael Nadal actually said to this same uh, umpire, um, I'm going to make sure you never work again, mm. threatening him in similar ways. Sure. And there was nothing called on him. Sure. So again, this is like, we talked about this last week, you know, with the with the tennis player who changed her shirt yeah. and was called. when. And again, these are subtle. And people may say, well, no, she shouldn't have yelled. But it can't be that men can do that, yeah. but women can't. And then, you know, Glennon Doyle pointed out, how a lot of people on TV were saying that she melted down Mm -hmm. and she didn't melt down at all. Melting down, you know, is getting small. small. She got, she got big and she said, listen, this is my space. This is my, you you are back. Exactly. And that's not melting down. Right. And men do that all the time. They get bigger. And are we, and the question is for this man who is the umpire or for any of us watching, what do we think about that? Mm-hmm. What are what bothers us the most? What's the thing that is really are we like a woman shouldn't do that? Yeah. And if we're thinking that, that's the big question then. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is the same thing as, you know, I'm connecting all these issues going on with women and 
you know, why in Gemma's book, you know, I'm... What's I'm, Gemma's book called, sweetie? Well, I had already said it was called Fed Up because she sent us an early copy. Okay. Um, and, you know, she talks about how, why, how did we get here to this place where the expectation of women is so different? And, you know, the history um, and also our own acceptance of it now and... And why is that? And what are our beliefs? And how do we start to stand up and say things need to be different? And the um, the the story that I was saying before about you and I standing in the garden talking to our neighbor is that I said, as I read this book and as these things happen, there is a part where we do get angry first. Mm-hmm. Like you do really get mad first, not mad where I'm going to lash out and, you know, and... Uh, it's not, it doesn't have to be some kind of violent, horrible thing or like where you need to pay a price. But there is a, a feeling as I'm reading this book and as these things happen and as the less moon vests of the world are exposed where I say, geez, you just get, you. it's, it's frustrating. You're fed up. Yeah. Like it, you get to a point, like one of the stories that uh, Gemma tells in the book it, that I could totally relate to is how after she gave birth to her uh, first child and she it was... It, was pretty traumatic, you know, as many of us experience where you're really, it's, you know, it's overwhelming for your body, for your mind. You're on a lot of meds afterwards. It's difficult. And how, you know, even then, you know, the nurse came in, uh, you know, like the day after and said, okay, mom, here's the checklist of things you have to keep track of. When does the baby latch on? When is the baby awake? When is the baby? And she kept calling her mom, like without a name. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And her husband, the dad was sitting in the room and he's fine and hasn't just given birth, but nobody's asking him to right. to manage these things. And then when he's like, can I help? Then she has to explain to him and just the whole process of the expectation. And again, it's not, that's the thing is when I say I want to get mad, I don't mean I want to get angry just to get angry. It's just anger is sometimes that first emotion or that frustrated emotion. Like, why, why are we here? So can I give the unrefined male perspective sure, on that? Sure, sure. Um, because I've been guilty of that. Like, you know, I was... <laughs> I, I didn't want to go into the amount of stories where we can tell similar stories in our marriage and even the birth of our kids. Like when, um, you know, this traumatic thing happened to you, which is giving birth, I kind of let you lead the charge, even through like all these examples of, you know, when is the baby latching on and all that? Like I did not participate in any of that. Like I basically was your assistant and what you needed was a partner and I was your assistant. So, so for the guys out there, like, yeah, well, just tell me what to do. Like, we're, we keep, I, I've asked this, my friends have asked this of their wives, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Why does that bother you? Because that in itself is the definition of emotional labor. I have to do the work to figure things out so then I can tell you. Exactly. And not only do I have to tell you, but I have to say to you, you need to learn this because you, what you're saying to me is... Tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You do the work and you tell me when it's time to learn and then tell me what I need to know. And how to do it. And how to do it. Um, so basically, guys, what our wives want is not another. So, so we have three kids. So what I always say is Kathy doesn't want a fourth child right. of telling me, a grown up man, what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and everything else. So instead of waiting, which us guys do because they're like, well, we're the ones that are, you know, getting the paycheck in our marriage or whatever, um, that is not 
the case. In uh, most of the homes, women are too. Right. So this is, that can't be, in some homes I'm, it's... I'm giving you the caveman, got, the caveman archaic version. Like okay. this is what happens. And that is not, like we have evolved. We are in 2018. Right. This isn't This isn't our parents' generation. Right. This is a new generation. But us guys were, grew up in that generation. So we're conditioned to be like, oh, well, the wife runs the household and the husband... Uh, does what the wife says to support the wife in running the household. What you guys want is a partner instead of a, another kid. And what you guys want too. Right. See, the thing is it always ends up being about us mm-hmm. and what what her book and what so many other books, you know, Bridget Schulte's book, at, you know, Overwhelmed and um, even, you know, some of our more spiritually based books, the focus is that... If there's a partnership, everyone wins. Right. This is not a women win, we get our needs met and you guys lose. It's a shift this in is perspective. a shift in perspective where everybody wins. The kid wins, you guys win, the toxic masculinity is mm. decreased, the marriage is is better. And we are we are swimming upstream against a conditioning that happened the minute that us guys showed up. And our conditioning as well. Right. Like there's it's an that's What's so important is I appreciate your perspective. I'm not pushing back on that because your perspective is is vital for, for men who are listening and for women for that matter. But this is not a one-way thing. Like women are conditioned to, mm-hmm. we lose, we also win. You lose, you also win. Like it's very, it's it's more... It's more mutual than I think people understand. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. Like redefining what a partnership is. Exactly. And the partnership that we grew up in is uh, the dad makes the money, the mom takes care of the kids. That's a messed up, distorted perspective, but that's what we grew up with. So it's time for us. We can no longer claim ignorance. We did a podcast uh, called Real Time Emotional Labor, podcast number 440. We interviewed Bridget Schulte, uh, author of Overwhelmed. Um, we're talking about, um, Gemma's book right now. Like we, us guys can no longer claim ignorance. We know how to have a mutual partnership. Whereas our dads didn't, it wasn't part of it it wasn't part of the culture. And now it can become it if we just assert ourselves and step up. Well, and that's the thing. It's interesting on the way home from, um, we were coming home from Seattle a month or two ago and I happened, you know how you get free movies on the plane. I happened to, they had nine to five as mm-hmm. one of the free movies. You yeah. guys know nine to five, Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, one of my favorites from like my childhood. And just watching that movie, I'm like, it has been like this for so long. <laughs> like my, when I say been like this, what I mean is that these women were working then. The women have always been working. Yeah. Women, so it's like part of us are like things are so different now because women work or whatever. This has always been happening. It's just the shift is so slow. Yeah. I think the 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 most important thing is that if there's there's two things, and then we'll move on to the next thing here. One is that there is an initial frustration that comes up sure. when these things happen, where there is an anger because we have been dealing with things for so long, that's kind of the initial emotional response sure. I get. I don't take that out on you. I just share like, man, this is really messed up, messed up, especially partly just for me personally, as the per- who I am and my friends and, you know, watching other women in the world and watching politically, even though even that's shifting, which is beautiful. Um, but then also as a mom of three girls and, you know, loving as many young girls right now as I do, who are my nieces or, you know, my children's friends or excuse me, my friend's children. Um, it's just, I want, 
I don't want that for them. Yeah. So it's like there's some work to do in my generation where they can have something different. At the same time, what I will say is for us as women, you know, you keep saying this is what the men's job is. For us as women, for we need to also expand in what you guys are where if if we're saying partnership, then we need to make room for that partnership, meaning we need to be able to say not everything is going to be done our way, that there are going to be pieces that you guys do your way and that that's okay, mm-hmm. that the laundry may not get folded exactly the way we want it to, that things may not be done exactly the way we do it and that there needs, but there needs to be a mutual respect for when and how. Mm-hmm. Like one of the stories in Gemma's book is where it's like, well, just let men do things the way they want to do it, which means they're going to leave the dishes in the sink and they don't care. Or they're going to fold the laundry. They'll leave the, you know, laundry and they'll get to it when they can. That's also not fair Mm -hmm. because then children end up not having clothes in the morning because you didn't finish because you're doing it on your own time. There is some understanding of what the word caring means. Well, it's interesting because I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm interrupting. Well, I, I, you know, just to bring that full circle, what I mean is sometimes, even though there needs to be room for you guys to do things your way and to have a sense of like, we can't micromanage your lives and it's not fair. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, it can't be so that it's way. It's great. It's in. It's in the middle. Exactly. And, and the story I think of when you mentioned that is. Um, you know, once again, this is me kind of admitting or exposing my own um, inadequacy regarding the uh, the balance between emotional labor. But when our daughters were really young, I would quote unquote give you a break, which is something that we've been talking about, and just that language is messed up. Because why why does giving uh, you know example. Honey, I'm going to give you a break and I'm going to take the kids all afternoon. Why would that why would they get you because upset? Because just that sentence says that you're doing me a favor and that you're somehow relieving me of my work when it's also your job to be with the children. So I would come in and say, I'm going to give you a break, sweetie, and I'm going to take the kids all afternoon. And you know, let's say the kids are an infant and two toddlers. Um what I remember is I would I remember saying to you don't give me a list. Don't tell me when the baby is supposed to be fed. Don't tell me how to warm up the bottle. Mm-hmm. Like, just let me do this. And what's great about when your kids are infants, they will give you direct, instant feedback. Mm-hmm. Whereas now that our kids are a little bit older, things can like kind of go covert and end up biting you in the butt a week or a month down the road. So anyways, it just makes me think of, because what I what drives me nuts is when a mom, in, in this example, will write a long list of exactly uh, to the dad how to do everything. Mm-hmm. And this is what you're talking about. It, and I can think of specific couples mm-hmm. that we know. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, ladies, don't give your husband a list and let him figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that won't work with all partners. Some partners are inept and they can't figure that out and they need some more support. I didn't. I didn't want that. Let me figure it out. And what I will say back to that is that part of the reason the list is given, there are some, sometimes the list is given because that person wants, you know, they're a little more anal retentive about the situation. They want control. That may be the case. But in most situations, it's because when you come back from your time with the kids, the kids haven't eaten. Yeah. There's been no, you know, no laundry done. You didn't talk to them about school like you said you were going to. You didn't. So what you did is you brought back more work for me. Mm. So basically now you've got a child who's melting down because they haven't eaten. You've got, um, you still have to have all the discussions about school that 
that you guys said you were going to manage and whatever else going, you were supposed to buy shoes when you went shoe shopping, but you didn't make it there because you did other things. So even though micromanaging has never been my desire, because Mm -hmm. understand that's work too, to micromanage. So when it's like, don't micromanage me, it's more about And again, I like the word caring, Mm -hmm. um, where can you see, can you look two steps ahead and rather than just, this is my four hours with them, I'm going to do whatever I want. resistance, I'm going to go to the park, I'm going to play baseball, and then all of a sudden they're all melting down. And what's interesting is, and this is really hard to do, but that's what's cool about, and you still kind of do this, but when our kids were little, like once every two years, you'd go to Mexico for like three days or whatever. That was a wake up for me, like, oh my God, you know, it would help me remember how hard this work is. If it's four hours at a time, you can kind of like gloss over it. You know what I mean? So I I guess not everybody has the capacity to do this, but my advice would be, mom, go away for more than 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Or dad, you know, reverse the roles. Like, cause maybe the dad is the full-time caretaker and the mom isn't or whatever, but it's important to completely remove yourself as opposed to this quick little bucket of time. And for, you know, for, again, like Todd said, sometimes a full-time caretaker is the dad. And so then it would be the mom to think this way or in same-sex couples, it just depends on who's home, more of the kids, right? But the key is, is the looking ahead, like the, the, the acknowledgement of not just the moment, which again, we're all about mindfulness. It's Mm -hmm. good to be with your kids in the moment, but there's all sorts of pieces. Sure. Like on Sunday night, I have to make sure the girls have socks and underwear and all those kind of things where I think a lot of people will say, well, no, you don't. You know, it, does that really need to get done? Well, then the morning There's is a nightmare. Right. And so you're creating, or I have to make sure I've gone to the grocery store. So the lunches are done. And these are sometimes pieces that get missed in the big picture. Sure. And it's not about then it gets delegated to you. It's about if you're the last one to use the toilet paper and it's gone can you go get it mm-hmm. instead of say, where's the toilet paper? Right. And you're, you don't do that. Right. I mean, I, I have very rarely, like just the other day I said, do we have paper towels? And you're like, we have a whole thing of them downstairs. I got a Costco. I'm like, great. See, that's partnership, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm about to put it on my list, but you're like, I already took care of this or vice versa. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up because this is a conversation that goes on and on and on. Um, there is no end and that's okay. I don't mean there is no end like everyone's going to feel bad, but like it, I think it gets richer and richer and we get more examples and we become more awake. Well, um, two things. One is I want to give two other resources. So okay. I gave the, uh, we on podcast number 440, it was called Real Time Emotional Labor. I don't remember what we talked about, but it was only a whatever, a few months ago. And then we did Emotional Labor is an Unpaid Job, Podcast 405. And that's mm-hmm. probably where we got more into what Gemma's uh, article was mm-hmm. about and all that. So those are uh, the two episodes um, that will help. So look them up and we'll put them in the show notes. But the I have one of my buddies um, basically told me a story, ex- his version of exactly what you and I are talking about, which mm-hmm. is emotional labor. And what's funny is, so I talked to my friend about this story. I wrote a blog about it, whatever. And then I shared with him, like the same thing happened to me and Kathy. Like you and I had some, you know, challenge Like basically my buddy had an argument with his wife about cleaning the garage when the wife was in the house with taking the kids. care of the kids. Mm-hmm. I had a similar story. And then I shared the story with another friend of mine. So my friend, the, the, my other friend and I have been married for over 15 years. Mm-hmm. Whereas my my friend, the garage cleaning friend, he's, he's he just got married a, a few years ago. years ago. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, what's funny about this is that at least you had the excuse of this is new to you. And when I say new, they have toddlers, they have younger kids. I have a 15 year old daughter and I'm still struggling with Mm -hmm. this. I have a podcast talking about this Mm -hmm. and I still screw up. So um, I guess I'm just saying that because to your point, this is a complete unfolding and it never, it's a, you just got to keep learning. And that's why we keep talking about it. And I, even though my issues are different, like I still have anxiety about things that I don't need to worry about. I still concern myself with, with issues that will unfold on their own. I still get frustrated about things that have to do with my inner child rather than my, my present day person. I have one real world example about asking you about this. Okay. Block party. Yeah. One of our kids took a bike ride and uh, she said she'd be home and it got dark. Okay. And I was so not worried. Right. At all. And I didn't know if, I didn't want to be dismissive of your worries. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're worried. You're probably just upset that she's supposed to text or call to let you know where she is. She has a phone. And I did. Did you feel not supported by me in that moment? Because I feel like I'm doing you a favor. Because if I get all jacked up, I feel like that will feed into your anxiety. And I and this is one of those occasions where I wasn't even pretending. Like I was not worried at all. So I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's funny because I think first of all, the child that was on her bike at dark is like I trust. I mean, I trust all my children, but I knew everything was fine meaning that she's very trustworthy and she's she's not one who wants to stray very far, right? The thing is, is I didn't, I just wanted to know where she was. Like if she was downtown, I was fine with that. If she was at her friend's house, it was, I just wanted that complete and and I wanted it complete so I could sit and relax and have right. a drink with you. right. Because I had to have these pieces done so we could sit outside and enjoy the night. Yeah. And I could not locate her right. and her and I phone was off, her phone was off, was off, everything was off. And so did I think that she was in a ditch? No, but I wanted that done. Right. I wanted but what I said to you is you kept saying, I'm not worried, I'm not worried. And I said, I need to create a t shirt that says, I worry, so you don't have to. Zen Parenting Radio. Like it I I worry not be, not in a um, outlandish way where I'm worried that someone kidnapped her. Yeah. I the it's less about worry of what happened to her and more about I am not done because if I sit down and get into a conversation with you, my concern is I'm going to forget yeah. where she is. So there's two examples of, and one is kind of like. Um, complimenting me and one is complimenting sure, you. Sure, exactly. So the complimenting me is um, I wasn't worried at all where she was right. a, or anything. So I, I feel like that you were was... calm. I was completely calm. But where I will give you kudos is like, let's say we're at a pool, like at a family party. Yes. I don't worry about the kids at all. Right. Could, and if you weren't at the pool accounting for where our kids are. You would worry. Then I would worry. And but the, the the Saturday night thing, even if you weren't around, I wouldn't have worried. Correct. So. And and that's why it's that's why the joke of the t shirt is I worry. So yes. you don't have to is that a lot of times, typically not always, um, but because sometimes it's the other way around where the dad is more concerned sure. than the mom. I have friends who I can definitely that's true. But in the case where the mom is more concerned or more like, where is the kid in the pool or when does the kid get home or, you know, even simple things like what, you know, what are we going to buy the kid for school or yeah. clothes shopping or whatever? And the dad's like, let's not worry about it. The reason you don't have to worry about it is because we're going to get it right. done. Right. So it's like something you've never had to deal with the repercussions of not having it done. So sometimes when it's 
like the mom is anxious, the dad is low key, or the dad's a rock, Good and the cop, mom. Bad cop. It's not. It's yeah. not accurate because it's not the truth yeah. about the moment. And I will say, most of the time, your worry does allow me to not worry. There right. are a few occasions where I just won't worry either way. But right. most of the time, yeah, you're doing me a huge service, which you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. It, this should be a partnership as close to equally distributed as possible, which it's not in our mm-hmm. marriage, which I've shared over and over again. But so anyways. Well, and it's so nuanced because there are there's worry about where are our kids? You know, where are they? It's dark. There's also, um, and, and I don't even like the word worry, concern, caring, recognizing, noticing, because the word worry indicates some kind of like problem. And, and a lot of times it's just looking ahead or my daughter walks in and I can tell that she's detached or something's happened. And I am going to, instead of, ah, don't worry about it. She can figure it out. I'm going to create this conversation with her. And so caring shows up in many different ways. Yeah. It's not just about that. I'm some anxious, paranoid mom sure. because that there are times that I have been, I will own that. You know, that is, well, there's times where I worry too much, not very often, but like with money, I'm completely out of balance. Yes. Worrying about money. And I don't worry about that. And you don't worry about mm-hmm. it. And maybe there's a small part of you that gets relieved because you know that For I'm sure. the one Absolutely. worrying about that. Now, Absolutely. I will admit my worry is irrational. Because I know that we're always going to have a roof over our head. I always know that we're going to have food on our table. So a lot of my worry is just weird childhood baggage right. that I cannot figure out why. And you're, and you probably have similar examples of that as well. Correct. Like we can go back and forth with that because I think like with money, I don't sit around and think, ooh, Todd's worrying about it, therefore I'm free. But I don't have the same concerns you do that I think that, but what I am appreciative of is I don't have to look at it every mm-hmm. day where I think you're like always constantly moving things around. And and I I think sometimes when you're exposed to something over and over again, there's more room yeah. for concern. Right. So if I'm more separate from it, it's not on my mind. Yeah. So, it, you know, same thing with the kids. I'm, I'm with them, talking to them, texting them, in their business more than you are. So I'm more exposed to... Yeah, you have more information. Right, more information. Yeah. Okay, so So. that's good. So that's that's good. Thank you. So um, this week's podcast is brought to you by Todd's Movie Quotes. Uh Uh-oh. Um, because um, we don't have any official partners this week. Maybe we'll have another one next week. I'm working with a few uh, businesses. Canvasliving.com? No, about um, our friend... Who's our friend? Jeremy? Yeah, Jeremy. Oh, <laughs> the bald-headed beauty? Yeah. He actually, I was going to mention him at the end of the podcast, but uh, Jeremy Craft, bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, uh, avidco.net. If you have any work to be done in your house, painting or remodeling, give him a call. Um, one of our listeners uh-huh. gave us a review and all they said, and it was a woman, she said, the reason I listen is because of the movie quotes. Like on the the real reviews? Yeah, iTunes reviews. No way. Yeah. So because I'm a listener of our audience's expectations, sweetie, Yikes. this um, podcast is being brought to you by... You know where the weight room is? I'll check it out. What's that from? It's from Tommy Boy. And here's another one. Tommy likey. Tommy want wingy. And then this is a long one. You ready? It's like 30 seconds. Oh. Let's say I go into some guy's office. Let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something. Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. Oh, my pretty little pet. I love you. So I stroke it and I pet it and I massage it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. 
I think that that was more of a riff than anything else. I don't know if that was scripted. Uh, of course it wasn't scripted. That, uh, yeah, our kids didn't like that movie. So Well, that's their problem. I know. Um, we have a Zen talk tomorrow at noon. Mm-hmm. What is Team Zen, sweetie? Uh, it's our virtual community where we kind of uh, come together to support each other in... But what if they don't live in Chicago? It doesn't matter. It's a virtual community. Oh, very good. What else can you say about Team Zen? Anything um, else? Just that everybody, obviously, we are very connected. Everybody on Team Zen, if they have a question, we talk about it on our live talk, which then becomes a podcast that you can listen to on your podcast app. And we also um, answer questions on our Facebook page. And it's not just us. There's a large community of people who have wonderful resources and support systems. And we all come together to make life easier. It's 25 bucks a month. And you'll get arch- all of our archive Zen Talks instantly, uh, Team Zen fe- Facebook page, and t- uh, Zen Store discount. So if you're interested, go to ZenParentingRadio.com and click on Team Zen. So the second part of what I want to talk about today, and then we'll let you go to yoga uh-huh. shortly thereafter, um, one of our kids came home, uh, last week and then she woke up, she had a tough day at school, right, sweetie? Uh-huh. And then she woke up the next morning and she's like, uh, she was just, I couldn't tell. She, I could tell she didn't want to go to school. I couldn't tell if she was sick or not. I said, how are you feeling? She said, I have a headache, my stomach ache, I'm achy. It was like all the Ferris Bueller <laughs> undiagnosable symptoms. Like, cause she didn't have a fever, but everything else was in place. So I'm like, this kid is totally like, maybe it's my ego, but there's a part of my brain like, this kid's faking it and she's not sick. So... Do you want to give a little context around it? I will. And I don't even want to talk just about this kid. I want to talk about what it means. Each of our kids have done Each of our kids have, and all kids have done. I did this. But we have to create some space for this possibility. And what what Todd is saying is that sometimes our kids come home for, because she felt that way when she got home from school the day before, and they just don't feel good. And it's not a fever and it's not it's not strep throat and it's not hand and foot disease and it's not all these things that, you know, go around in the, our communities. Hand and foot or foot and mouth? Whatever. <laughs> or cows. Isn't there a cow one? I always mess it up with the massage place in town that's called hand and stone. stone massage. I'm always like hand and stone disease. I honestly don't even know. And then there's a cow one too. And we're not making light. Isn't that mad? Mad cow. cow mad cow disease. I don't, children don't get that, do they? That's a disease. Cows know. get that. I just, there's a lot of things and that are named things that I don't understand. And then there's the flu that was like a pig virus or whatever. Yeah, the bird flu. But that was a bird. There was a pig too. A just, pig flu? <laughs> there Wasn't there a pig flu? I have no idea. It's, wasn't that the N1... A1, whatever. N1A1. Oh, they all have different names and they're terrifying. And we're losing track. <laughs> okay. My point is, is the, the reason I bring up all these names is a lot of times we're comfortable if our kids come home with something and we know what it is and we're like, okay, you're sick because it fits into this box. Sometimes our kids come home and they don't feel good and they don't have a fever, but they really don't feel good. Why don't they feel good? Not because they it's not because they, you know, it's not strep. It's because they're mentally overwhelmed or emotionally or emotionally things are backing up on them and they do have a stomach ache and they do have a headache and it's not connected to a virus. It's just their emotional well-being, And it's a little harder to figure out what's going on. Um, I'm not saying that this is very, this is simple, but what Todd and I have found with our children and 
and the reason it came up again is because, as Todd said, this happened last week, is when they are feeling that overwhelmed and exhausted and they are willing to say, I don't feel good, I need to stay home, it's usually an indicator that they need to rest. What's interesting is that some parents would be like, and we even asked ourselves this, or yes, at least we maybe sure you did. didn't. Yes, we sure did, every time. Is she escaping her problems? Correct. You know, there's so many different questions. One is, is she escaping her problems or is she like an expert in self-care and she yes. knows exactly what she needs to do? Yes. There's maybe some days where she's escaping. Yes. There may be some days where she's actually doing radical self-care, which yes. is something that we as adults need to learn from. Um, is this truly physical or is it only emotional? Because as you and I believe, sometimes the emotional will manifest into the physical. It always does. So she... But it's possible last week it wasn't physical and she was trying to pull. Well, and I guess what I mean is if you don't deal with the emotional, it will manifest in the physical. And so can she deal with things in the emotional so it doesn't have to manifest? Right. So it really doesn't matter if it turned physical or not. She could have been preventing herself from getting a longer illness next week. So it is tricky. Now, one thing I did say, because, you know, when your kids are like really physically sick, like fever and vomiting, it's easy. In those moments, I'd be like, watch TV all day. Right. Here's the ginger ale. Right. I'm going to coddle right. you like you've never been coddled. Right. What I said to her last week was, because I happened to be home, it was it was an easy day because we were both home. Uh-huh. Um, I'd be like, well, that's fine. You can stay home, but mm-hmm. uh, no tech. Yeah. And uh, you read books and you sleep. And sleep, and yeah. You, and you take care of yourself. So what she ended up doing, this kid loves to be outside. I actually set her up in the garage because it was beautiful weather out. But it was raining. It was raining. So I set her up in the cot. I put a cot up with a kind of cushy mattress. And and she just sat out there. And she did what she had to do. And she didn't get on tech. So it's funny. Like, well, do you let your kids watch TV all day? Well, sometimes absolutely. Absolutely. Because they're freaking... Miserable. Throwing up. Yeah. This kid was not that type of sick last week. She was instead... She needed a day. And we gave it to her. And she came back really strong the next morning. And that's the thing is, you know, Todd and I have our own childhood history where maybe we tried to stay home because we didn't want to go to school. Or I used to, when I worked at Children's Memorial, I worked with children who had school avoidance, Mm -hmm. who would like literally like refuse to go to school. Is that in the DSM-4 now? Absolutely. I mean, it's under under the umbrella of anxiety. But like part of a big significant part of my job was helping kids get back in school and, you know, not not allowing them to stay home and circumvent the system and, you know, get into a rut that way. The thing is, is that even with all that history and baggage around it, there are times that kids just need a mental health day. I think that having a mental health day from work, I think that having it from school um, makes a lot of sense in the long run, meaning I think you'll get sick less. I think it'll help you not get overwhelmed and, and highly anxious. I think it'll help you take care of your body. It, it is self-care. We don't always have the option to do that, meaning that you know, the age of this child and because we were home that day, it worked out. It's not going to work out for parents who both work full time, maybe. You know, like the thing that about this discussion is that we don't have an absolute here. It's not, oh, your kid is feeling overwhelmed. Let them stay home. That may not be the right, right. situation for you. But it is worth the discussion mm-hmm. of is your kid, I'm putting this in quotes, faking or do they really need a break? Yeah. Because in this situation with our kid... 
she worked her tail off this summer on a lot of things. A lot of things happened at you know the beginning of the school year that were big for her. Beginning of the school year is big for everybody, yeah. right? She's been working really hard. A lot of things have been changing. And it kind of built up to a day where she was like, I just need to sit and stare out a window. Boy, can I relate. So can I be devil's advocate? Yeah. What about the parent that is saying right now, but what about school? School's important. She's going to miss a day. She's going to miss a lot of things. And all of a sudden, because there are parents out there that will, unless the kid is vomiting, they're in school because it's so important. I understand. How? Well, that's why I, I wanted to start, you know, that's why I started by saying my own background, because I used to be that parent. Like my, both of my parents are teachers and not only did they have to go to work every day and couldn't be home with me, but the, the whole idea of going to school was essential. Right. And when my girls were in preschool, before I became aware about my own issues with this, I used to freak out when they wouldn't even go to preschool. I mean, and that's like crazy. And for those of you who have kids in preschool, I'm not saying you're crazy, but your kids can miss a day of preschool. They can miss a day of fifth. They can miss a day of sophomore year. It's fine. Like it's okay. But it, of course, school is important. And saying that your child needs a mental health day doesn't mean your education is important. And will you miss something? Possibly. And can it be made up? Of course. Like some of the parents and some of the families that really inspire me. Um, and first of all, let me set the stage here. I'm an educator. I believe in education. I think that teachers are amazing. I think public school system, we're so blessed to be in a good community with that. So this is not taking away from education. What I'm saying is with all that out there and you guys understanding how important we think it is. I think it's so great when a family's like, we're going on vacation and we're going to miss three days of school because going on this vacation to see this family or like we have good family friends who go to South Africa every year and they go stay with family there. We're going to go there yeah, because she that's like a whole week. That's vital to her well-being and our well-being as a family. They inspire me because that there's a sense of balance in that. They also are very committed to the school. Oh my gosh! Yes, specifically. So yeah, are. yeah. She's her mom is so committed to the school system, and so it isn't one or the other. Yeah. It isn't, and that's where we get really black and white about things. Where it's like you're either committed to school or you're committed to your kid. Both. Can I be devil's advocate again? Sure. But if I let my kid take a mental health day, then they're going to abuse that privilege and they're never going to want to go to school. And my quick example is, I think you guys all know basically the types of parents Kathy and I are because you listen to this podcast, but our one daughter became really sick during her high school finals and she bucked up in a way that I wouldn't have. I would have said, call your teacher. Like she had the flu, it turns out. I think if we would have known that, we maybe even approached it a little bit differently. But because we gave her the space to kind of make her own decisions growing up through grade school and middle school, that they, I don't know, she just made, I don't even know if it was responsible, but my God, she was motivated to uh, do these things. And she could have taken the path of least resistance says, I'm sick, screw it, I'm not doing it. And she did the opposite. Well, I think what kids learn as they mature is that the path of least resistance is actually taking the test and getting done with it. Because what they've learned through experience is the more you put something off, the bigger it grows. And that's not, they didn't learn that through lectures from us. They learned that through their own experience. And sometimes that's why, that's why you let kids fail occasionally. That's why it's okay if they don't do well in a test or they decide to stay home from school a day and maybe weren't fully sick and then experience the repercussions of that. Or, 
that's why that's how they learn when you get to be, you know, in high school and it's time to take finals and you have the flu yeah. like she did. She knew that not taking it would be harder. Yes. And we didn't say a thing. No. It was like if you're sick, you do what you need to do. But she's like, I need it done so I can sleep and relax and be done. She's a bulldog. She was. She got through it. So then we drove to Florida. And with her sick. It was horrible. And then we all got sick except for you. Because I ate cloves of garlic. I know, but I, I got very sick. The thing is, is that I think our belief system always go errors on the side of if I let them do something, they'll take advantage yes. of it. That's not really how we're hardwired. Children and adults are hardwired to want to do good. They want to please. They want to make life less anxiety-provoking. If we put them up against a wall... They will often do thing def- things defensively. They'll rebel. They'll say, I'm going to do this the opposite way of what you told me because they're trying to find space for their own choices. Right. All you have to do is read about rebellion and why why kids feel the need. Like read some of Dan Siegel's books mm-hmm. about how the, the teenage brain works. And then you'll recognize, you know, a lot of questions we get where the, you know people will be like, oh, my kid's being horrible to me because they're a teenager because that's what teenagers do. They don't always do that. Mm-hmm. They do if they feel it's more normal for them to maybe take risks, take risks and for, uh, those things are normal, but they don't have to hate you and they don't have to rebel against you. If you're giving them the space to make their own decisions, yeah. by then there's nothing to rebel against. And then some will say, well, then they're not going through the process uh, uh, correctly. No, because they're still making their and own choices. Gonna, and if that's the case, they're going to want to live with you forever. And that's not true either. Right. Because what what are what is rebellion? Rebellion is you're not letting me choose. You I you are telling me what I need to think, do, and be. And so I'm going to push against that and do something else. If you back away from your child and you you say, go ahead and think and be and do mm-hmm. what you, I, there's space for you here, right. then rebellion isn't always necessary. Right. doesn't mean you're never going to experience it, but it's not as frequent. So I guess the point is, is that we aren't saying if your kid isn't, doesn't have a fever, let them stay home. We're just saying, consider that maybe your child needs a break. That if they can, maybe it's not school. Maybe they come home from school one day and they say, because they have baseball practice every day or ballet every day or play practice every day or whatever practice. And one day they say, I need to sleep. Mm-hmm. What if you let them do that? So I, that's what we do. Yes. But I will also admit that if the same thing happened the second day, like let's just say this kid, because the kid, that we're discussing last week, came back and had a good day of school that next day. Correct. If she's like, you know what, I'm still not feeling well. Understandably, you and I would be a little bit more inquisitive. Of course. On that decision. Of course. So I don't want to say, well, yeah, laissez-faire, whatever we want to do, whatever you want to do is what you want to do. But, you know, it's it's um, it's all nuanced. And like if she came back the second day saying, oh, I still don't feel well, I don't want to go to school, we would have a much bigger discussion. Yes, and but not a discussion about you're lying to us. And it, that's this whole like believing that we yes. understand what kids are feeling believe, is not fair. When she said that she has a stomach ache and she's achy and she has a headache, at no point did I say, come you're on. You're lying. Come right, on. no, don't do that. You just got to believe, because what choice do you have? Of First of all, your kids are going to pull one over on you Possibly. as best they can. That's what kids do. That's how they learn. So- 
you could call them out and say, you're lying, you don't have a headache, but what, where does that get well, you? And, and I would even push back on that. Haven't you ever felt overwhelmed emotionally and gotten a stomach ache from it? So are they pulling one over on us or do they really have a stomach ache? Could they still go to school with that stomach ache? Probably. I'm not saying that they're like bedridden, vomiting, have, you know, but <clears throat> there are days be, my own worry, my own anxiety, my own overwhelm or my inability to take care of myself backs up on me. Mm-hmm. And it becomes something that I need to really take a break. That's what self-care is. And so here's the thing. Why do we start teaching self-care when we're 40? Why aren't we talking to our kids about self-care now? And then, but we'll talk to them about self-care, but only under our direction. When it becomes even more critical, I'm trying to think of the time I needed self-care the most. I think of my college days. Oh my God. Like that's when there is none. Right. At least for me, I was either working or studying or drinking. Right. That was it. There was no time to sit on a chair and not do something. And why why aren't we teaching our kids? We're not teaching them, oh, if you're feeling a little worried, just don't go to school. Right. Again, please- We've never said that. <laughs> listen to, uh, be clear when, we're, when you're listening to us talk about this, that we're talking about a whole range of experiences here. There have been times when my daughters have woken up with a headache or whatever, and I've been like, you know what? How about some Tylenol yep. to get you through the day? Yep. That this is not, you know, it's not our there's... first instinct to say, stay home. Yeah. But if there's a child who says, I- don't feel like I can do it today. There is a part of me that snaps into, she knows her body better than I do. Mm -hmm. And that trust throughout a lifetime leads to self-trust, her own Mm self-trust. And the fact that she didn't get sick, she had one day and then she didn't, I, I think if if we push kids to the point where they are so emotionally overwhelmed and constantly like chronically anxious about their life, they're going to get physically ill, yeah. right? They're and they're going to end up with a fever because you have to release that somehow. Yeah. You have to, you know, and again, this just gets into what emotions are. Well, and there's an intuition that, there is. that you have to trust. And yeah. that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect 100% no. of the time. But what, you and I had a real brief discussion, I think, in the bathroom that morning saying, how are we going to handle this? And it was not planned and it was probably 22 seconds. Yeah. Um, but we were lucky enough to be together to kind of say, what do you, what do I think? What do you think? And then we kind of, we trusted our gut we're like, all right. And the thing is, is we were on the same page about this is not a TV day. If she is feeling this overwhelmed, then TV is the last thing that's going to help her. See, everything becomes almost like he said, like Todd said, intuitive where you're like, if today really is a mental health day for her, she isn't feeling good. I trust that. that No, no, gosh, no. We were just like, okay. And I gave her a kiss and, and did my thing Mm -hmm. and went on with life. But to lay outside and to be in the fresh air and to take a break and to stare out in the distance. She and read to, books. She took naps. She she looked at the rain falling yes. on the ground. Like, and that's why I'm like, my God, this kid might be like an expert yes. at what she needs. Better than we are. Whereas many others be like, oh, she's just running away from her problems. Right. And then she I, she called me at like one because I had to go somewhere and I said how are you feeling she's like not great yeah and I and I was like do you, you know want something to eat and then she ate and then by about seven o'clock that night she's like I feel better and then she fell asleep early mm. so the thing is is that we still don't know. There's no way to know what was going on. It could have been emotional. It could have been fear about something at school. It could have been a test uh, she didn't want to take. We don't the, know. Yeah, who knows? But she's back. And they're the again the connection stayed intact. Mm-hmm. Um, connection between whom? Between us and yes. her, and her and herself. Yes. Okay. Because a lot of the a lot of choices that we make about our kids are deep 
ingrained in us from our own childhood, from belief systems. Like one thing that I love, the um, I'm using uh, Debbie Reber's book, um, Differently Wired for my college class this semester. And right now we're on the number one tilt, which is question everything you've ever heard about parenting, which is probably the most powerful like sentence right there. Probably the reason she started with that one. Exactly. Question everything. Like before you start making all these decisions and backing your child up against a wall and getting yourself super anxious and going down a path of my child's going to fail or I'm failing or I'm a bad mom or they're a bad kid, stop question everything. What is it that I really want? And what Todd and I have been able to narrow down and what this show is about is connection to themselves, to us, to the world. That's the, that's the grounding agent. Everything else comes out of that. Mm-hmm. that and again, from that means school 98% of the time, you know, like it, it's not, it, it doesn't mean then Every day is a whole new free for all. It just means occasionally we can say, today we're going to do something different. Or in this situation, I'm going to look at it with new eyes. It does take self awareness first. Yep. Because if you aren't even aware of your own subconscious biases, or if you aren't aware of your own childhood baggage, it's very hard to see what you're doing. So, self awareness first. Um, Real quick, yes. conference plug. Oh, do you see what time it is? Yes. Um, so Zen Parenting Conference 2019, March 8th and 9th. Um, it is, it's amazing, our lineup. Um, Abby Wombeck, Glennon Doyle, um, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and some special guests, most right. likely. We are working on that right now. And if you don't know who all those people are, go to Zen Parenting radio.com and click on conference. It's at the top. Yes. We can't wait to see you. We've, and workshop is filling up quickly. Yeah. There's only like, I think there's 12 spaces now and it's only September. Yeah. So it will fill before December. So um, if, if you, you plan on going to my pre-conference workshop, workshop, sign up now. It's called Choosing Courage for Yourself and for the World, Standing Up, Speaking Up for Yourself in the World. And if you are coming and you're bringing your fellow with you, if you have one, I'm thinking about doing a pre-conference workshop for guys too, but it just depends on if there's enough demand. So I'm going to close the show with a few more Tommy Boy lines, and then I'm going to do the music. So you can go to yoga. All right. Um, say goodbye to the audience. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. And I'm going to finish with a few Tommy Boy lines. So. Is this your coat? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Fat guy in a little coat. Fat guy in a little coat. Don't. (laughs) Fat guy in a little coat. Fat guy in a little coat. Hey, does this suit make me look fat? No, no, no. Your face does. Want one? I'd better not. Uh, I have what doctors call a little bit of a weight problem. Brother? I'm Paul. You must be Tommy. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. Mr. Callahan, I need your John Hancock on these reports. John Hancock. It's Herbie Hancock. (laughs) Gee. Did you hear I finally graduated? Yeah, in just a shade under a decade, too. All right. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I know. They're called doctors. He said he had a surprise for me. Maybe. I guess you should have called. I did call. Earlier when using the phone. Earlier when was that? Or later when then I uh, le- left a message. A message? What number did you call? Two, four, nine, or five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're
Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the support us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime, you choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. More, more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios. <laughs>